Welcome to the What's Up with Docs podcast, the documentary podcast for all of us. I'm Tony Bell, the creator and host, and welcome to season two, y'all. We are back. Renelle and I want to thank all of our guests and listeners who have been so incredibly supportive as we work to make this podcast a reality. We are often surprised and awed by the actionable wisdom that our guests drop on the regular and so appreciate their willingness to delve deep into topics that are normally not discussed in the mainstream documentary world. Thanks so much to all of our listeners from around the world who visit our website, Facebook page, Instagram, and download each episode. Your likes and your kind emails and posts of encouragement mean everything to us and we are so grateful to all of you. We're also working hard behind the scenes to bring you additional programming, so be on the lookout for that. An indigenous land or territorial acknowledgement is a statement that recognizes the indigenous peoples who have been dispossessed from the homelands and territories upon which an institution was built and currently occupies and operates in. For some, an indigenous land or territorial acknowledgement might be an unfamiliar practice, but it is a common protocol within indigenous communities in the United States and is a standard practice in both Australia and Canada. The terms land and territorial are not necessarily interchangeable, and the decision as to their use should be specific and local pertaining to those indigenous people who are being acknowledged as well as to those legacies and responsibilities of an institution that are also being acknowledged. Within cultural institutions, these statements can be adopted in various ways. However, it is vital that they be spoken as a verbal statement given at the beginning of programs and events. In addition, they can also be expressed through a text panel or plaque and acknowledgement on an institutional website. Again, that was from the Guide to Indigenous Land and Territorial Acknowledgements for Cultural Institutions, and you can find a link to the guide on our website. The What's Up with Docs podcast is recorded on the unceded territory of the Tongva and the Chumash, now known as Los Angeles, California. Renelle Schubert, our producer, was born on the unceded territory of the Kickapoo, now known as Nashville, Illinois. The Kickapoo are an Algonquin-speaking Native American and indigenous Mexican tribe originating in the region south of the Great Lakes. In the U.S., there are a little over 3,000 members of the Kickapoo Nation, and they reside on reservations in Kansas, Texas, and Oklahoma. Another band, the Tribu Kickapoo, reside in a Musquis municipality in the northern Mexican state of Coahuila. Smaller bands live in Sonora to the west, and Durango to the Southwest. The Kickapoo language and members of the Kickapoo tribe were featured in the 2009 movie, The Only Good Indian, directed by Kevin Wilmot and starring Wes Studi, who is Cherokee. Over the next few weeks, we'll be learning more about the Kickapoo on the What's Up With Docs podcast. In this episode, I speak with filmmaker and impact producer, Lindsay Dryden, and filmmaker, novelist, and podcaster, Day Al Muhammad. In our conversation, we chat about Day's advocacy work in Washington, D.C., Lindsay's work as a producer of the film Unrest, and the organization they co-founded with Alyssa Namias and the Oscar-nominated director of Crip Camp, Jim LeBruck, Forward Doc. Forward Doc is committed to empowering filmmakers with disabilities, and part of the advocacy is being bold and saying the words disability and disabled. With that in mind and the spirit of naming what is, this week's song is Destiny's Child, Say My Name. 
Here's our conversation, which was recorded in February 2021. Lindsay, we met uh, via online. I think you, myself, and Rennell had a meeting, or we, we, the two of us had a meeting, and then we like met later with Rennell. This is like pre-COVID, so BC, before coronavirus. Yeah, it was a wonderful conversation. And you know, we were talking about some of the initiatives that um, Floridocs was going to be doing, which we'll talk about later. And Day, this is our first time meeting. It so, is. I know Rennell, not you. I'm so sorry. I know, yes. I so, don't know you. I don't know you. <laughs> so, um... I want to, you, both of you women are like so, so pro prolific in your work. So I kind of want to like uh, give the audience a sense of like what you do individually. Day, you write, you podcast, you are a filmmaker, you are a Renaissance woman. Um, I wanted to ask you first of all about, I'm going to kind of go into your bio, but I wanted to first ask you about um, your work at the White House you know, and the storytelling workshop you did at the White House. And I'm assuming this was during the Obama administration, right? It was, it was. Um, okay. There was a, I, I was asked to, to uh, come in and do a workshop on storytelling. It was basically young women of color and the idea of how to tell your own story. And mm. so they had an event and the White House asked basically if I'd come in and, um, and, and teach a workshop on storytelling. So how do they find you? Oh my goodness. Uh, I've actually been in Washington DC for a very long time uh, working on a, a variety of issues. And actually I am a uh, lobbyist is not synonymous with a bad word. Uh, I always go, I'm one of the good guy lobbyists. You know, you've got the, the folks who work for, you know, the corporate elites. And then there, there's folks who are working on things like healthcare for kids, uh, mm. ensuring, um, addressing problems with family detention, which is his own issue. Yes. Uh, things like um, uh, preservation of native language and, and school systems um, and a variety of other kinds of things, accessible technology. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, I, I've worked in a lot of things. I think the the two that I'm probably most proud of is, is I worked in coalition with a bunch of folks for passage of the Hate Crimes Prevention Act, the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Act. And, oh, wow. uh, and that is okay. it was one of the high points of my career to be able to say I helped pass that and was there um, at the White House, you know, to celebrate that with, with Matthew mm. Shepard's family and mm. James Byrd Jr.'s family. Um, and the other was working on, on parts of the ACA um, mm -hmm. or Obamacare, and, yeah. and um, in particular, the bits on minority health. And in, in many ways, I think one of the big things is lobbying is nothing, it's not the one guy who goes in. It's like a bunch of people mm -hmm. with shared interests who go forward to try and push the single thing through. And in many ways, working in film is the same thing. It is mm -hmm. not a solo sport. This is a team sport and you all have to work together towards this one end goal to have a specific kind of a product. And so previously it was like legislation. And in this case now it's to come out with something creative um, and both have to do the same thing. They have to move people to take action or just move people in some right. way. So, so they're not the way they were before. Yeah, I always call um, filmmaking control chaos because you have all these cooks in the kitchen and you need all the cooks in the kitchen because like each cook is specifically doing something. So I guess like they're, well, I don't know, I'm chef lingo, like sous chefs, you know, <laughs> but they're all very much needed and necessary to make the uh, complete product, you know, a complete dish. I guess I'm hungry because I know we have some younger folks um, who may not be aware of Matthew Shepard or James Bird Jr. So can you let, um, tell people like who they were? So Matthew Shepard was uh, 
a young gay man who is basically beaten to death and left on a fence post to die. It's as simple mm-hmm. as that. He was killed for years. James Byrd Jr. was an African-American man actually with a disability. Again, who a, a bunch of guys in a truck came by and basically dragged him to his death. And both of them, the, the legal system at the time was trying to find ways to go. This isn't just a crime against one person. The crime was done specifically to strike fear in the community of these folks. And so the idea was can we address that aspect of it? And that's where it, it gets, people think it gets controversial, but I'm like, no, no, no. It's more than mm-hmm. just a crime against one person. And that's that's what the law tried to address was to recognize that it was bigger than that. Yeah, I mean, they, they're targeting people for a specific reason, you know, and it, it really kind of echoes like what's happening now, like all the um, all these attacks against um, elderly Asian folks, um, right, that's happening right now. And then can you, um, talk about your work with the, the ACA, particularly, I'm interested in hearing more about the minority health, um, like how that was addressed. What issues were they trying to um, deal with that? Sure, uh, that, and, and that one, I, I guess the easiest thing is, if you think about it, right, um, if you have a health issue, you go to your insurance and you go, hey, I need you to cover this. Mm-hmm. And so how do, how do different companies determine what they're gonna cover and what they're not? You know, what's, what's real medicine and what's like woo-woo? They do that based on, hey, there's been research and studies that say this works. And the thing is though, they had set it up saying, you have to have this kind of study that's massive and huge and it covers all these details and then we'll make sure it's covered. But the problem is, uh, as we know from actually great one studies about women and heart attacks, right? Mm, yes, all the studies yes. on heart attacks have been done on men and right. with women it presents differently. Mm-hmm, and those mm-hmm. studies, but it, of course would have been smaller. Right. So because they're smaller, they wouldn't have qualified, which means they wouldn't be covered by insurance, which means suddenly a whole lot of women would not get cardiac care. Yeah. And they're dying and, more of um, heart issues than, you know, because I know breast cancer is a, a gets um, a lot of recognition in regards to uh, this impact on, on women's health, but actually more women die of um, issues, heart issues, like cardiac problems. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. the same thing happens to minority health because the studies are so much smaller they, right. they wouldn't have qualified. And so I, we had a, we were trying to find a nice way of going, that's bullshit. You guys mm-hmm. need to find a better way to look at it. Right. Um, and, and this wasn't just uh, addressing disability or race, gender, and ethnicity. We, it was a coalition of like 400 organizations that mm. a colleague I pulled together to basically cover all these kinds of groups. So we had HIV groups, LGBTQ, because mm-hmm. they, all of us had had different things that the studies just would not cover. And right. so yeah, you need to address health broadly so everybody is covered as a part of this. Right. Um, I think that's great because I think a lot of people aren't really aware of the specificity that happens around issues around healthcare. Um, For example, you know, obviously I've had, you know, we've all had a lot of time at home. So I was watching this talk by these um by these two hiv activists specifically who worked in black communities that were in texas and the issue was and this is why we're going to get into some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today in regards to like forward docs was these two african-american um folks they wanted to do a talk at this big conference i think at the university one of the university of texas essentially about white superiority workspaces and how um, when white support superiorities enacted like unconsciously or consciously, how it impacts specifically the policies that come out in regards to um, health for black folks who have HIV. Um, and like white superiority was in the um, title. 
And the people didn't like that. So they asked them to change it. And they're like, no, uh, we're not going to change it because we're going to speak to the specific issue because this has, has an impact. So then they, um, they canceled their talk. Um, in this conversation I was listening to, they were kind of giving the background of all this. And what happened was the dean at one of the colleges of medicine there um, gave um, gave them the space to give them their 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 talk. But also, it was really great in regards to um, I'm, I don't like the word allyship. I'm going to say like co-conspirators because a lot of other groups got on board to support these people. So one, um, one person who was on this panel talked about how they had been invited and then they withdrew their talk in the act of protest in support of these um, folks. But I wanted to bring Lindsay in here. Talk, talk to us about forward docs and then I'll relate that to what I was talking about before. <laughs> so. It's always pretty intimidating to follow Day. <laughs> Just like, what do you say when Day talks about what she does? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty extraordinary. And so Forward Duck, we began um, after the um, IDA Getting Real conference, the last in-person one in 2018. Mm -hmm. It was the first convening of deaf and disabled filmmakers. And suddenly so many of us found ourselves in a room with other deaf and disabled filmmakers. And we just hadn't had that experience before. Mm. And there were lots of us. And I think I, I was shocked by how many of us there were. And it was a really powerful galvanizing experience. And there were also folks in the room who, you know, wanted to kind of support and uplift our community. And so mm -hmm. that's really where Forward Doc began. And so um, Day Almohad and um, Jim Labrecht and Alicia Namias and myself since then have been kind of working together to gradually create a, a sort of platform for our community to work together in a number of different ways. So, mm -hmm. you know, part of what we, I think there's a kind of a carrot and a stick part right. of the work that we do, you know, and lots of it's carrot, some of it's stick. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, our goals are to really create opportunities and advocate for opportunities for disabled and deaf filmmakers. And, you know, I think it's something that we were talking about yesterday in one of our meetings what we'd really like to do is our work as filmmakers. That's yeah. that's the focus, right? That's mm -hmm. where everybody wants to be doing. But we've been really inspired by, you know, organizations like Brown Girls Doc Mafia, ADOC, mm -hmm. Queer Producers, and, you know, our kind of, our founding membership crosses lots of, of intersections and we're part of, you know, various groups, including the ones I just mentioned. And, um, you know, there is so much extraordinary kind of community work being done so mm -hmm. that our voices as underrepresented folks in the film industry will eventually be heard on some more equitable kind of a platform. And so, yeah, we do a, a kind of a range of work and I it's I can't explain it when Day's sitting here because Day does the best explanation of what we do. <laughs> <laughs> She's just like the ultimate mm -hmm. describer of the kind of different approaches that we take. Yeah. Great. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of bring up um Crip Camp and um if y'all haven't seen it, you need to see it. Um, it's on the Oscar, it made the Oscar shortlist. Um, but there's one particular, well, I cried a lot when I watched the movie, cried and laughed and cried a lot. But there is one particular scene where I just like broke down because it was just so incredibly beautiful. And like, I think a model on how um, we, from all, all of us from our various um, underrepresented groups um, can support really support each other. So um, it was a scene when they were um, taking over the building, protesting, 
and um you know this is at a you know a time when you know our country is was well i guess going through some similar changes right now but going through a lot of changes and shifts and you know and recognizing um, people who had not been, who had essentially been disappeared or invisibilized. And I love, what I loved about it was, so um, the folks who are deaf and who had disabilities, they took over the building. And, but then there were all these other coalitions and groups who essentially asked them, okay, what do you need? Okay, so they were talking about what do we need? And then the, um, the black, they said that we need food. So the Black Panther said, hey, we gonna bring you food. And then they asked, you know, another group asked, what do you need? And then um, they said, well, we need some water to wash our hair because, you know, we need to try to maintain our cleanliness. And I think it was a group of like uh, lesbians who like brought in water. So uh, what I loved about that, um, oh, <laughs> it makes me emotional about that is it was, the needs of the deaf and folks with disabilities were, were centered in their wants. And then these coalition groups who had similar experiments were like, say, hey, um, we're not gonna speak for you. We're not gonna engage in any of this paternalistic bullshit. You know, I use language on the site. We're not gonna do any save yourself. We go ask you for what you need and then give you what you ordered. Yeah, and, and that's a quote from Renell. We're not gonna modify it. <laughs> We're going to give you what you need and then still like let you maintain and be like front and center in the, the activism for for yourself. There, there's a neat bit of additional story that I don't think is in the film is that was okay. one that was one protest in that and it reinforces your point right was yeah you know about the one in San Francisco there were also um the same kind of protests in, in New York Washington yeah. DC Chicago color all of them failed because it, the one in San Francisco su survived because the Black Panthers and the legend because the the the, the community mm -hmm. and the and 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 uh, and you're right allyship's not the right word but it's it's like yes. an active vested interest in centering and supporting kind of a yes thing. yes um, and yes. that that is what made the difference in that city in mm. on that day or days if, if that makes any sense because mm -hmm. they, they were happening out elsewhere and they all were starved out in a in a few days wow that's what made the difference yeah because like, it means to have any success it, it's like it, people have to step up and go yes this is the right thing to do mm -hmm. and we need to back folks yes and that that i'm just seeing that enacted um was so 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 like powerful for me because that's how that's how i want to be in the world you know, like uh, I have my own interests as a black woman um, who will be 50 this year. Lord have mercy, how did that happen? One generation out of civil rights. Um, so I may not, I may not know the experience of other people. You know, I don't know the experience of you know Latinx folks. You know, I don't. Um, I haven't experienced that. I haven't experienced the. Uh, um, the, I had experience of indigenous people. I have an invisible disability. I deal with fibromyalgia and I have like um, uh, depression and stuff, which I'm taking meds and a lot of that's a, a lot of that's being taken care of, you know, and I'm in therapy for all that. But there are a lot of people who I don't, I don't have their lived experience. That doesn't mean I can't bolster and support them and center them when they need to be centered. I saw Crip Camp at Sundance uh 20, 2020 before the world shifted and 
I, when I look back at that, because obviously um, 2020 was a year of reflection for all of us because we had a lot of time, that for me, like that scene was a really kind of a, that experience was a catalyst for me and how I wanted to actively move in the world. And instead of kind of like doing my work um, of support of un underrepresented groups, like um, you know, using like subterfuge and things like that, like being out and in the open with it. Because sometimes when you're in these um, predominantly white spaces, a lot of them talk a good game about diversity and inclusion, but they don't really want to do anything about it. I think we talk a lot in kind of, in, in our community about, about disclosure and about mm -hmm. when and if it feels safe to, to actually acknowledge mm -hmm. that you might have a disability because the kind of risk of stigma, the risk of opportunities being withdrawn is a real one. And it's, it's really powerful to just, you know, even to sit in this space in this conversation for us to talk about, you know, for you to talk about what your experience is to actually acknowledge and disclose is, is, a, is a bold act. And so I think something that we hope that we can do at Forward Doc and kind of within Forward Doc and knowing that we are a baby organization and we have lots to do and lots of ways to grow and lots of kind of approaches to intersectionality to really embed in our process. And, you know, mm -hmm. we, there's a lot that we have to make happen. Um, that idea of people being visible with us feels, mm -hmm. feels really affecting because you know, I, I've probably, I've mentioned this anecdote in a few different scenarios before, but one of the best experiences I had last year of speaking on a panel at a festival was when someone else who was on the panel who didn't have a disability mm -hmm. advocated for them to make the panel accessible so that me and people like me would be able to actually take part in it. So I wasn't yeah. the person saying, hey, this needs to, you know, this needs to have live captions. There needs to be a BSL interpreter. Um, someone else was doing that. And mm -hmm. that kind of act of, you know, she made herself unpopular in that moment because mm -hmm. that festival weren't happy about it. They were really uncomfortable. They didn't want to pay. They felt like they'd been caught out, not doing mm -hmm. the right thing. Mm -hmm. They were worried about their resources. And I think there's lots of ways that we can make ourselves visible on other people's behalf, I suppose. It takes some of that burden off of, off of you, you know, as a, you know, because we, we who, um, like I said, I do have an invisible disability, but those of us, um, we need to take on that, some of that burden ourselves, you know, because, because we, we're, we're, we are, um, we're, we're privileged. We are privileged in a way. So we need to take on that burden ourselves to make it, um, to make things more accessible. And it's great that you brought that up because um, one thing that this COVID crisis has done um, has really shifted how we um, think about work and living, but also accessibility. Now we know that a lot of jobs can be done remotely. So to me, uh, one thing that needs to stay when we get back to our, hopefully what will be our new normal is um, making sure that when people are hiring for whatever profession, if it can be done remotely, we've proven it can be, you know, so, you know, Tar you know, when you're hiring, target people with um, who have disabilities, who may not be able to, you know, uh, who it may be a, an extra burden for them to physically come into an office, but also specifically around the the festivals, because um, now it's like norm normal now for um, on when you have a panel to have an ASL interpreter, and if you don't, then like it's kind of weird. Like, why don't you have an interpreter? 
you know, that's becoming the norm. And like, these are things that I hope that will, will stay, you know, as we move back into our new normal. So I'm um, kind of speaking on COVID and Lindsay or Day, you can both like answer this. Um, what are some of the things that you hope will like be maintained in regards to accessibility for all folks? Um, and, and also specifically for folks with disabilities, um, you know, as a result of how we had to adapt because of COVID, particularly around the festival and the film world. In many ways, the move to online has been really positive in some ways for exactly what you said. And, and I think also for some festivals, I, I know one of our tiny little local ones was thrilled because they had a larger audience than they'd ever had before mm. because people could come from, from multiple places. Everywhere. Mm -hmm. Everywhere. Um, you know, and I know other 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 folks did not necessarily have that same thing, but the idea is uh, for folks where where getting places uh, becomes tough. That right. guess what? Moving online, like you said, makes it easier. Uh, somebody's having a fibro flare or a bad day. I'm like, guess what? I can still be a part of something. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know, as far as us at Forward Doc, one of the things we've been leaning real hard on is is especially when people made that initial push. They're like, yes, we're online. I'm like, ah, uh -uh. captions. You need to have captions everywhere. And mm -hmm. A lot of folks will put the sentence saying, hey, if you request accommodations, and I'm like, you know what, I'll be honest, you should have captions no matter what, all the time. Yeah. There's, there's no reason not to. And some of the, some of the, as much as I'm not a super fan of some of the auto captions, they're almost everywhere now with systems. So you have no excuse, but yeah, to turn I mean, them on. Yes, right. just uh, click a button. And That's the it. same thing for panels, right? Mm -hmm. uh, don't, don't wait for Lindsay or I or a colleague or somebody else Put them, say, absolutely, we have captions for every every panel. And and I, and the big fuss I have is everybody thinks about it as a niche disability thing, but let's talk about people who have audio processing. Let's mm -hmm. talk about somebody who's got sleeping babies in the next room, right? Or they're, yes. they're watching from a public place. I'm like, there's a reason we've seen captioning become useful in multiple ways. So just use it. And and if nothing else, when you record stuff for after the fact, mm -hmm. after, record, after the fact, it's pennies. It costs pennies. There's no... Uh, excuse for that. So in many ways, COVID has kind of pushed us to that online thing. And so now I'm like, all right, don't just make this a part-time thing, make this yes. 100%. And when mm -hmm. we move back to the real world, keep that 100%. Um, and I can see a lot of people starting to abandon it when they're in real time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, no, do this. And let's talk about international filmmakers, mm -hmm. right? Having those captions makes a difference for them too. So these, the, when we talk accessibility and the, the thing that always bugs me, everyone thinks it's disability specific, but those things impact and, and, and can be positive for a broad swath of folks. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I just remember even pre-COVID when I would like the few times I would take public transportation to work, you know, I would have my, if I forget my headphones, but I wanted to watch a video, you know, I would read the captions. Exactly. It's like, yeah, so we, we all benefit, we could all benefit from these things. Um, Lindsay, did you want to add something? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think the idea that we can all benefit from these things is exactly, that's exactly right. You know, on the one hand, there's more than 1 billion people in the world mm -hmm. who are deaf and disabled. So it's not like we're a minority. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in the UK alone, like one in five people has a disability. One in five people. And, at the, you know, at the same time in the film industry, I think less than 1% of people working in independent cinema um, have a disability. You know, we've, we've got these, these enormous populations and communities being completely ignored, but mm. it's something that I think, you know, I, I really have adored from watching Crip Camp and, and listening to the directors, Nicole and Jim talk about how they made it. 
they embedded those values of accessibility into their yes. mm-hmm. not just for folks with disabilities but for everybody so that everybody who worked on that film could come into the room as a whole human being who might mm-hmm. have a family who might have caring responsibilities yes it's not just about disability it's about everybody kind of being able to exist in a sustainable functional environment that mm-hmm. you know these are decisions we make buildings aren't built inaccessibly because someone did that by accident that you know stages there's thought put into it yeah exactly stages at film Mm -hmm. festivals have been built without ramps because no one's ever considered the fact that there might be talent who uses a wheelchair who Mm -hmm. comes on stage you know I've, I've screened films in cinemas where someone who uses a wheelchair can get into the room to watch the film, but they can't get onto the stage to be the director and to do a Q and A because no one's ever considered in that process. Folks with disabilities should be able to get on stages as well as be in audiences. And maybe we should even be able to sit where we want to, as opposed to, you know, in a little section where it's, you know, where it's been designated. There's, mm-hmm. there's so much that can be done and, and is being done by really thoughtful organizations. And I think, you know, this last year, has been so difficult and so painful in so many ways. And mm-hmm. part of what many people have experienced, and I I say this cautiously because it's not, you know, it's not simple. There's lots of nuance to it, but I think a lot of people have experienced for the first time what it's like to be locked out of the world that they want to take part in. Yes. They haven't been able to access the way they have expected to live their lives. And it's been incredibly painful for them. And mm-hmm. that isn't to say that people with disabilities have been living, you know, desolate lives. Um, before now that's not the case right in extraordinary lives but I think there's something very powerful in how folks have felt excluded from the world for the first Mm -hmm. time in ways that they might not have before yeah and so while as I said none of those things are simple because we all bring our different experiences and it's 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 full of nuance Mm -hmm. I really hope that people might reflect on what that exclusion has felt like and they won't let other people experience it going forward you know they you mentioned this um when people get quote unquote like called out about the changes that they need to make I think the people who are getting called out need to stop and say oh maybe I should consider this rather than getting defensive and it's like that's not even necessary we're like because sometimes we may not be aware of things no, honestly, because it's not our experience. But here's the thing, when you're made aware, you need to change it. I think it's just anytime you call anyone on that, there's, it's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, and then this is where I, I always go, it ends up being an, an, an uphill climb in, in many ways. And, and here's why. We keep asking the folks with the least power to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. So it's us asking, saying, hey, make it accessible. Uh, but it's so much easier and better when it's the festivals requiring it, when it's the funders requiring it, when those who actually have the power to make things more accessible and demand that accessibility. And I also think we're in a really powerful time of change and we're all going to get things wrong at times. And when we do get things wrong, we're going to need time to think about what that means, think about how to make it different. And so I think part of... Of a, of a useful approach is for us to be clear about what needs to be different mm-hmm. and also to be generous with the time it might take for people to marshal the resources to actually make that change because there's thinking differently and there's also doing things differently right and so I think there's there's you know 
there's many things that I'm learning all the time about communities that I'm not part of and right. ways that I have a tremendous amount of privilege and a tremendous amount of power. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, I, I don't always use it appropriately. I haven't always used it appropriately. And so while I'm trying to do better in lots of ways, I want, I appreciate it if there's space for me to, to figure out how to do that well and then do it. And so I think when we're asking people to do things differently, mm-hmm. we can provide the tools, the resources, the encouragement, and then also hopefully the support Mm-hmm. for them to do it differently so it's not just you're terrible make it better it's this is a new th- this is the thing you don't know about here's right. why it's mm-hmm. important for you to know about please consider all the different layers to this and I get it if you need to take some time to to think about how to deploy that in your life and in your work but do deploy it in your life and your work and I think yes yeah, like, sort of, mm-hmm. it has to be a I, I yeah I, I kind of appreciate it being us creating an a, a sort of atmosphere of encouragement as well as mm-hmm. you know I don't think us yelling at anybody <laughs> kind of makes anything better but they mm-hmm. just put something really perfectly you know it shouldn't be contingent on the people with the least power to make changes on their own behalf right right, right. yeah because we we all have a, a responsibility here we all have a responsibility. Have you ever noticed it's always a panel full of people of color and people with disabilities or LGBT folks, and then they're asked, so how would you make the industry more diverse? I'm like, you are asking the folks with the least power in the industry yeah. how to solve mm-hmm. your problem. Um, or they ask, and then people give concrete suggestions, actionable things, and um, they get, thank you, like, thank you for having the conversation, which I really hate. Like that's like a complete dismissal to me. Or um, they get told why they um, can't make those things happen. Mm. You know, right. and it, and like and there's this there seems to be and it's not it's not just um, in the film industry. I think it's um, has to do with um, issues of power and power dynamics. Um, there's those with the with quote unquote least amount of power are um, there's this habit of, first of all, those, those with the least amount of power who've been um, mostly, who've been severely impacted by you know, policies and decisions um, are not centered in the solving of those problems. You know, they're- like this whole government policy discussion we started with, doesn't it? Yes, yes, yes. And um, so I'm doing impact for this, um, helping with impact for this film called Through the Night, Lloyd Limbo's film. And it, we had this conversation last week. Um, it was um, from Praise to Pay of New York Celebrates Caregivers. And um, Lloyd was on the panel as well as uh, two protagonists um, of the film, Dolores and Patrick Hogan, who, are, work, who run this 24-hour daycare. Um, and then uh, the moderator was um, on Andrea Anthony, who is executive director of the Daycare Council of New York. And then we had two um, p- politicians who are um, who are the North, who are in New York, based on uh, who were chairs of the Children and Family Committee. And what came out in the conversation, which was crazy to me, 
was that they're making these decisions about um, caregiving um, and caretakers of children and no caregivers are on at the table. Yeah. And it was a it was a powerful conversation because it, it was the first time I had seen a conversation between like a constituent and a politician that wasn't kind of filtered. And the comments were lit because there were all these caregivers and they were asking about specific things about policies and like numbers and bills and you know so they're like incredibly be aware of what they need and like and and um, but it's just like what is that disconnect? Like, why are you making decisions for people and not actually even talking to them? Yeah, and we've seen that, I think, so much in 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 the kind of field of storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, who is it who has the opportunity and the resources to tell stories about particular communities and experiences? And right. I think something that we see a lot around disability is, is kind of the idea of either disability as tragedy to be overcome mm-hmm. or inspiration porn. And it's kind of bizarre that both of those things sit side by side because they don't make sense that if, you know, if they're the only two options, um, Mm -hmm. they don't make sense. And so often those interpretations and those stories being told, that's happening because there is nobody in the room with lived experience to, you know, introduce a sense of nuance and complexity to those stories. And I think a really big part of of what we're passionate about as an organisation, you know, accessibility is, is an important part of the work but it's also it's a small part in some ways because that's the they're they're the basics it's about power and who has the opportunity to tell stories about their own experience and to do that with with nuance with um Mm -hmm. sensitivity with with lived experience and so you know if you're if you're making a film about disability and there's nobody with lived experience of disability, not just in the room, but in the room with real power to make yes, editorial decisions. Yes, yes, yes. Because yes. being in the room is the worst place enough. to be if, yeah. If you, yeah, <laughs> if you don't have any power, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's something when I was, um, at my, my former employer reading fiscal um, sponsorship applications, you, know, you could tell which um, applications had like the token minority or the token person with a disability. And you know, their bios were, uh, and and this doesn't speak to their um, you know exact experience, but it was clear from the way the bios were written that this person had no say so. And I would like call that out. Like, what real powers does this person have in the room? Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, particularly since they are from this community that you're trying to depict. And um, a lot of people didn't like that. You know, but you can't use people as like props and, and tokens or to really kind of get your get your money. And there are tons of stories about that, you know. I bet. And, and the tough thing is for many of the folks, they're saying yes to this because this is their only way to- They need the money. They need the money. They and need they to do- be able to have the, the, the line on their resume that says, I worked on this film project because trying to get funding in particular is, is very, very difficult. Uh, right. as a part of that and if you don't have if you don't have any experience you don't have anything to, the only way to do it is if you end up a- attaching on to someone else and the problem is when you're doing that you're doing it on their terms mm-hmm. um, and I think that's the problem and it's like we said it, it comes down um to power and a lot of folks I- I'm sure Lucy will be like well this has nothing to do I'm like yes it does who do you hire and it's true in, in you get your team that you're used to and your team that you like and you work mm-hmm. well with them um, and I'm like, yeah, but I've worked with them for years. I'm like, you need to look at who you are helping build up in the industry um, because yeah. this, is, this is all of us. Um, mm-hmm. And it's part of the reason I also, I have a 
a no mercy rule as far as 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 funders and festivals because i'm like especially the bigger ones i'm like mm-hmm. come on you guys put your money where your mouth is put a you know if you're giving money put a requirement in there that says you you must provide captioning and audio description on your film to make it accessible do you know almost nobody does that I think NEA is mm. the only one where I've seen who basically puts a requirement that your final product or your program be accessible. Passive, wow. The National nobody Endowment else. for the Arts, yeah. Nobody yeah. else does. And that's that's rubbish. Um, it is. It is. That's that's very British of you. Rubbish. I love when you say rubbish. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my favorite bits in our calls. It's probably oh. better than saying that's bullshit. So. <laughs> no, you're the same, Mo. You know, we'll, this we'll is a bullshit-friendly space. Yes, it is. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> the, the call that, it that, out the bullshit. But that is bullshit. mine. Is, is put your money put your money in that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and people go, well, I don't know where where do I find? People? I'm like, there there are a multitude of groups. It just means you have to be willing to step outside. Now, uh, Google is your friend. Google, you know? is, <laughs> Google is your um, friend. And and I think there are plenty of organizations and groups that are perfectly happy to talk to you, work with you. <laughs> but, but the idea is is actually to. Uh, for people to recognize it's okay to get it wrong. And, and I think yes. said it's, it's to basically allow people to fail with grace and right. for us to learn how to fail with grace, which means say, you know what? Shit, I think I was wrong here. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my immediate reaction is very defensive. So I'm getting, uh, you know, give me a chance to collect myself and, mm-hmm. and see what we can do. And the problem is the documentary space is very much at how much can I squeeze out of every dollar, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why there are horrific working hours. Which Ooh, is, child. Right. Low I'm like, pay. yeah, low pay. <laughs> like, uh, do I, should I pay for access? Should I pay for color correction? Color correction it is because I need that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, how many people don't admit they have kids because someone goes, hmm, they've got yes. kids. I don't know if they can put their, all their time into this. I'm like, mm-hmm. so some of these things that we talk about with disability are things within our industry and we're poisoning ourselves. Yes. Um, and, and, and this is where I go. I think poor Dr. Because we can't Daniel, bring our full selves to the work. We're not permitted to bring our full selves to the work. Right, and and it sounds very radical, I guess, and 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 I and I know we are all big former, big supporters of transformative change, right? Yes, we're going to do this, but but I'm uh, but we also recognize, all right, you know what? This is the real world, and incremental change, you know, one little piece at a time. You know, we work out, we 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 survive and support on the work that others did before us, mm-hmm. and so some simple ones are, um, and and I always I always like to do my ask it because my my thing is like, all right. If you do or do not have a disability, the next time you do an, uh, go to an online panel, even as an attendee, or mm-hmm. especially if you've been invited, ask if they have captioning and lean a little harder. Can you make sure you have captioning? Yes. Because if you're being invited as a presenter, you have the power to make that ask, even mm. if you don't need it. And they might ask, do you need it? I'm like, does it matter? Because somebody will. Because so, somebody will. Yeah, somebody will. Uh, even if and, you, you, and you're opening public transit, you know, yeah, public transit, watching mm-hmm. it that way, and everybody can make that ask. Everybody can can make sure that the films they make, they put aside space in their budget to add that. And 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 a part of me goes, I don't want to get still caught in the accessibility because I'm like, guess what? There are amazing filmmakers with disabilities out there who are making amazing work, and um, mm-hmm. that's the other thing. So the next time you're creating a panel, look at who you're inviting. Who do I have on this panel? Do they all look like me? Do they all sound like yes. me? You know, I could I could invite somebody who's a little bit different mm-hmm. to come onto that panel. So every time you do things like that, bring in somebody else, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up too is um, I, uh, this past week I was co-presenting, um, I did two, co-presented two um, 
two events, one on grant writing and one on um, incubators and workshops. And um, people were particularly, most of the folks in the, the majority of folks in the group were Canadian. So a lot of them were trying to learn about, you know, US based um, US filming in the US and um, funding in the US and then in Europe. And one thing I did, like they, somebody, a couple of you said, you know, we want thinking about bringing on a US producer. So I'm like, okay, um, look at browngirls.mafia. Um, look at ADOCS. And then I mentioned Forward Docs. I don't know if you have a directory yet, but um, I said, I don't know if they have a directory yet, but you, know, you should email them. And I'm like, okay, like, cause you know, these, we need to put forward um, these folks and just like that little suggestion, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll make a difference and get somebody a job. Absolutely. And yeah. that's, uh -huh. that's really what we're all here for, right? Mm -hmm. It's so important to talk about accessibility and just to, to talk about how people get to do the work in the first place. But really, you know, our community is made of amazing storytellers. Yeah. Yeah. Because people whose, people whose goal is to do the work of a filmmaker you know to, mm -hmm. to 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 do the storytelling and so it's 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 kind of especially exciting when people are thinking about hiring not because they need to tick a box but because actually there's extraordinary talent in, right. in, in all these communities exactly exactly so one thing i wanted to bring back to budgets because like budget i don't, I don't think who i can't remember some politician said it like budgets represent your values and um so how can people make their create budgets that um, that um, that include accessibility, just like making part of it like a normal, like a normal regular line item? I'm rubbing my hands together. Yeah, she's like, she's like, yes, <laughs> I like this question. <laughs> I feel like there are a few different layers to it, right? Because we okay. can put whatever we like in our budgets. But if mm -hmm. funders ultimately go, oh, no, we, no we, we don't really want to support that. We don't think that's a real part of your budget. It doesn't matter if we've written it down. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. if it's part of our value. So on the one hand, we have to know that partners, funding, you know, participants, financiers, that they're aware that that's a valuable and crucial part of budgeting mm -hmm. so that you don't have to fight for it. Um, and I certainly, you know, I like to talk about the disability pay gap, which mm -hmm. is I think in the UK mm -hmm. around sort of 15.5%, something like that. Okay. Not only do you need to pay disabled folks for their roles, you have to pay them well, you have to pay them yes. more <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's, there's, there's kind of, there's time to be made up. Um, yes. And so when it comes to budgeting, I think it's about both budgeting and scheduling. And those are the places where I think as independent filmmakers, we're usually under most pressure because we don't have enough money and we don't have enough time. Mm. But we also know that budgeting and scheduling appropriately to work creatively, but also ethically mm. to have time to think as well as to have time to do like those things are, are absolutely crucial. And I say that at, you know, at the beginning of a very intense feature doc at the moment, knowing that we've put those things in our budgets and knowing that we're still going to be under pressure and we're still going to be right. you know, pushing back against the deadlines and the rushes and the things that we can't control. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's easy to talk about and it's, it's certainly hard to implement. But I think in terms of line items, um, we've had great conversations in the doc space about what it means to think about supporting people's mental health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's as simple as speaking to a few therapists, finding out what yes. their rates are and thinking, okay, I need to provide, we all know that, that therapists tend to, maybe this is just a UK thing, maybe I'm generalizing, but a mm -hmm. therapist in the UK wouldn't do fewer than six sessions, for example. They'd certainly prefer to do 12. 
So you know that you'd have to budget for at, at least, least 12 sessions. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. At least six to 12 sessions. And um, you do that for the number of people that you think might need access to it. And they might need access to it more than once during the course of a production. So it's about, it's, it's always about research. And so there are some brilliant um, audio describers. There are brilliant um, captioners out there who are doing independent work. Mm -hmm. And I think it's about talking to them in the same way that you talk to a potential colorist and talk to a post house and talk to a sound designer. Find out what their what their rates are. Talk to them about how they work, and actually try and embed that process early. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I say this as a person who is deaf and has an invisible illness, an invisible disability, both actually, I guess, um, mm -hmm. and who hasn't always managed to do that. And I'm, you know, we all have a ways to go in in kind of right. doing that well. But I think when we can embed that thinking in our processes from development onwards, you know, if I'm going to be doing a test screening, am I only going to show it to audiences who don't need captions? Mm -hmm. budget, to put it, budget to put captions on your, you know, on your rough mm -hmm. cuts mm -hmm. and think about it's, it's not just farming out your, um, your final film to a captioner who'll do all the work, to an audio describer who'll do all the work. Captioning and audio describing are a level of storytelling. They're yes, yes. Part of the creativity, right? So mm -hmm. if you have a if you have a, a final script for your doc based on everything that's in that material, are you just going to give it to somebody else to make up their own version and send back to you? You wouldn't do that with any other element of your story. Right. So it's about thinking about it early and yeah, doing 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 research. So you know, mm -hmm. I know that people might put. Some people might put kind of a, a $5,000 line item in to know that they've, they're going to, at the very end, have the capacity to do, you know, 90 minutes worth of, of captioning and um, audio description. Mm -hmm. But that can change. It depends who you work with. It's, it's impossible to say what something costs because there are so many variables, but it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be that expensive. You know, it's not a huge part of right. budget as these things go. So, yeah, do the research early. Talk to these incredible creatives they're not just kind of services they're creative people who will sit with you spend time with you enhance your storytelling with you you mm -hmm. know if you're thinking mm -hmm. how am I going to how am I going to create audio description for my film then you start thinking differently about the space between the dialogue right yes the, what you see on con converting what you see on screen into language what you see visually into language is an amazing opportunity I think mm -hmm. for you know, people who wade about in this creative space. So we certainly at Forward Duck, I would say, we see it as a creative opportunity um, and not this frustrating thing you have to sling on the, at the end when you're really tired and you want to deliver and you've got, you know, all your different partners demanding things from you. It's actually a way of enhancing your storytelling from the very beginning. Right, right. That's very powerful. That's very powerful. And I, I would encourage anybody um, out there if you, because a lot of um, films that are like Netflix and Amazon, you know, you could turn on the audio description, just like turn it on, um, just, just to kind of like experience and see what it's like. And it really, it really does, um, in, in, to me, in, like enhance the storytelling, you know, it really does enhance the storytelling. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so as far as the Ford Docs like, website, what kind of resources do you have on there? Like for folks with, for filmmakers with disabilities, um, as well as those who are, I want to say co-conspirators and accomplices, because I don't like allies. <laughs> co-conspirators and accomplices is yes. perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I will, I will be quiet in a moment and let, let Dave speak as well. Okay. We've, we've just created a toolkit that's that's just about to go up on our website there's going to be a uk version and a us version 
mm-hmm. that actually helps people understand deaf and disabled filmmakers perspectives and advice brings together loads of people's voices gives you some data and some stats to work with to help you make strong arguments about why we should be doing this work together Mm. and so we have those kinds of resources and there's also lots of information about how to do these practical processes but they sure uh i think one of the big things is and we keep saying like we're just a baby organization i think we had our first we had our first meeting during the pandemic of of, Mm. of the actual membership so we we started out online and been going that way. And like I said, we've been borrowing from the models of, of those collectives that have come before us, you know, freely, openly, and 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 giving joyous credit yes. um, for uh, for their wisdom actually by following in them. So so we're like I know we are just at the beginnings of starting to build our directory because we've seen how beneficial that is because people will ask, oh, you know, who do you know? And right now it's who we can pull as fast as we can. Mm-hmm. We want to be able a little more strategic about that. Um, so, so if you're a filmmaker with a disability in any range of that, please, please come join us, you know, be a part of that. Um, and, uh, the other thing I'd also say is even if you don't want to join us, you can also sign on as, as an accomplice, if you're not ready, um, yes. we recognize the disclosure element of it because yeah, a lot of folks, um, I, I worked with a lovely, um, director for five years before she ever said, oh, by the way, I have a disability too, because she'd always been afraid she would not get work because of that. Mm-hmm. She's now a member there's... of Forward Doc, so yes. Yay, because um, I mean, there's still there's still a lot of stigma, particularly around um, disabilities, around like, you know, autoimmune diseases and mental health. Um, and a lot of people are afraid to um, disclose. And I know it was actually, um, yeah, I've talked um, personally, like individually with friends about, you know, some of my issues, but it was actually um, during the panel at Getting Real, the Four Docs panel, and where I um, disclosed in the chat that like I have, a, like identified as someone with an invisible um, disability, you know. Right. And, I, yeah. and I think it's hard because a lot of times folks have to, you're making your own accommodations and adjusting for yourself, but you don't, like you said, you don't get to bring yourself to work like that. So, right. so we're still at the building that directory, building that the community where folks can come in and feel safe to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it's also talking to each other and sharing in information um, about things. You know, it's like, all right, different different people talk about, all right, how do you manage anxiety? Especially now when you're trying to work yes! on top of that. Especially during the pandemic. Right? Like how, so, do, how do you manage, well, I call it COVID, COVID rage. Because right, um, on yeah. top of everything else, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, I, I remember uh, I was um, buying some ca- food for the cats, and I was in line, and the the cashier told me this is you know, obviously during COVID. So the cashier told me like, oh, if you like do five, take five dollar, you know, um, spend five more dollars, you'll get something else. So I'm like, okay, so thank you. So I go there, got, and I go and get it. And then the woman behind me, clearly annoyed, she says like, ah, really? And then at first I was like, I was going to say like, yeah, really back. But I said, you know what? Let me chill because I too have been in line behind somebody and something like that has happened. And I felt the COVID rage and I had to check it, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, it, would I have be this angry if it were not for the stress of COVID? Like, no, I said, let me just dial it down. It's okay. So I let the woman have her moment. I went and got my little extra can of cat food so I could get my deal and it was all good. But yeah, but everything is is heightened right now, the anxiety because of, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right, we're uh, on our, we're also trying to make connections um, right. yes. with, with with funders, but, and distributors and basically go, hey, have you guys looked, looked at your list? Um, 
how many do you do you even track how many folks with disabilities have you actually actually given funding to at all you know Cause, you yeah because the, yeah, the the issue around data and demographics people need to start tracking that and um i know i'm a little cynical but i'm thinking like sometimes i think maybe you don't want to track it because you don't want to do nothing but you need to track it what gets measured gets done Right, and it's the same, and it's the same with, with the the lobbying and legislative stuff that I did ages ago for the minority health stuff. With those same, they were like, whatever the studies are, that's what dealt with insurance. And when it wasn't being studied, then they didn't want to cover it, and it became a battle. It is the mm. same thing here. Um, uh, insofar as if you don't have a baseline, there's nowhere to improve from. Right, and you hear all the hand wringing and worries. I'm like, oh, what if people don't want to say it? I'm like, it's optional. People may not say it. And that says something if people are uncomfortable about disclosing, no right. matter what it is, you know, whatever identity. But the idea is you need to look at that because mm -hmm. it says mm -hmm. there's something wrong um, going on there. And yeah. so a lot of our stuff is, is, is um, and I guess this goes back to, we, you know, we have, we have three things we want to do, right? One right. is build a thriving community of filmmakers with disabilities, right? We can share stories. We can share advice. We can work. Um, you know, we can lift each other up, all those kinds of things. Two was be able to have Ford Doc um, provide like that kind of resources and advice to the industry, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, we've got a slew of filmmakers with disabilities who can talk to you about exactly what things can actually uh, yes, yes. And that's related to the toolkit. I think mm -hmm. that that Lindsay was referencing. It's like, if you don't know how to do guess what? We will tell you exactly uh, how to do it, where to, where to find some of these sources and what are easy ways to do this. This is not a heavy lift, you guys. Right. Take five minutes, read it, you will learn a lot. And mm -hmm. the third was actually engage in long-term industry change making. Yes, right? so talk thing, about that. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's, that's where we're talking about the idea of, of, um, of having captioning everywhere, no matter what. And, and right now there's a big, right now there's a big boom on, on, on diversity right? Mm -hmm. It's a big thing right now. It is sexy. It is trendy, but, but it's I think, also, I feel like it's fading because, because, yes. um, because the orange menace didn't win, you know, and, um, Biden's in the white house and we have a sister Asian American. Yeah. We're, we're now. yeah. So like racism is over again. Right. And, and also sexism is over again. So we don't need these like diversity trainers and, you know, and, and, and anti-racism trainers. And, and that's that. exactly yeah. the idea. We're talking about long-term change mm -hmm. because right now stuff goes with that ebb and flow. Mm -hmm. And it, and it's, it's like the inequity isn't as important anymore. And I'm like, that's rubbish. Yes. And it's like, this is, this is where rubbish. You pay attention. <laughs> exactly. And keep, <laughs> keep that ball rolling. And um, and just um, as, as a parallel from, uh, so is, in addition to filmmaking, I, 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 st I started with writing novels first and then kind of slid into, fell into the filmmaking side of things. Mm -hmm. And, and the, uh, was it last year, there were, um, there were tons of agents and publishers calling for diverse books and black writers. Um, mm. And, and, and um, I love it, a fantastic woman. I'm gonna blank on her name. I'm gonna go find it. That way you can post it. Said, all right, I, I see all you agents out there calling for black black writers. And when they answered, now you're ghosting on them. Mm, it's like okay. you don't need them anymore. And I'm like, and this is this is like you said, we're starting to see that. And and the idea is this is where the idea is do we need to keep leaning and putting that pressure on? Because I'm like, no, nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a bump. We have not changed. We have not changed anything. Yeah, right. exactly. And the fact that I mean, well, I mean, I think 
the reason why we had the orange menace in the White House is it goes way back. This country has never dealt with this legacy of, of slavery and genocide. You know, and and this is this is the culmination of that. You know, and the speaking as also as someone who is a born and raised in the South, um, particularly like during the 70s and the 80s, you know, you're surrounded by, I mean, now we're conscious of it, but that we were surrounded by these monuments to the Confederacy. You know, I, I, I um, my mother and I lived in Augusta. We would go up to Georgia and we would climb Stone Mountain, which had, you know, Andrew Jackson and all, all those like in the Confederate generals. I think Andrew Jackson's on there. But anyway, they're just beginning the discussion of like what to do with that. But, you know, all these monuments and um, and looking back. and But also like I remember I lived in an apartment complex called a Plantation Creek at one point. Ooh. Wow. Yeah, this is during this is during the nineties, and now I'm like, I would never live. But there's like a lot of things named plantations, you yeah. know. And, and I can hear folks yeah. like, but that's mm-hmm. not me, and that's a long time ago. And but it's and not. I'm, I'm a good person, and I'm and I'm gonna and this is where I'll tell people stop, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna say look around because I said we're it's not about being good or being bad. Yes. It's about it's about the systems that have been built. Yes. around us and you may not see how you play into those but the idea is who are your friends who are the people who give you money who are the people you give money to mm-hmm. and if you're seeing everybody at the table and they all look like you then you then maybe you need to do something to change that it doesn't mean you're a bad person it just means the system has been built this way and it's about who has power and who right. has, who doesn't mm-hmm. uh, and you if you're like part of that table and you look around and they all look like me then you're like all right maybe I have the ability to do something to change that. Right. And then, and, then when, when it shift, where it shifts to the, I think into the bad person space is if you see what needs to be changed and you're told what needs to be changed and you're aware of what needs to be changed, but then you opt to do nothing. You opt to maintain those power structures. Right. And, and, yeah. and doing nothing is maintaining that power structure. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and people go, but I don't have time or God, my documentary has such a small budget. I already have my team. I don't want, I'm like, there are things you can do. There are yes. things you can do. And, and, and if you are not even taking, and this is like I said, this is a transformative change and incremental change. If you aren't even willing to take those tiny incremental mm-hmm. steps, then you are right there as a part of that system and you are building into it, whether you right. or not, that's what happens. One um, thing, um, um, and with the film Disclosure, you know, Sam Fader's Fetter's film, um, I love, I mean, the film was great, yeah. but then also the behind the scenes stuff, because yeah, ev- everybody on that film um, was either trans, but if they weren't trans, they um, had to bring on, like, I think, a, I want to say, like, maybe like an intern to kind of train under them. Yeah, that fellowship model is just crucial. And, you know, Sam and the team in that incredible film, they took risks on all of our behalf, I think, by Mm -hmm. by doing that, because it isn't easy. It is expensive. It is time-consuming. It takes a tremendous amount of care. And to have implemented a process like that and made a film as extraordinary and beautiful and powerful... Mm -hmm. It, it's such a feat and I think that's something that we are as, as forward dot really inspired by that right. fellowship model if there isn't if you want to hire an HOD who represents a certain lived experience or mm-hmm. comes from a particular marginalized um, point of view or background and that person doesn't exist yet then create the opportunity create for them yes. to exist mm-hmm. right yeah and, and it's, it's back to Maria said you have the you, when you saw those those tokens 
I'm like, this isn't creating tokens. This is actually giving those people that first opportunity, that line on their resume, right. and that next step. And it also goes back to what Lindsay said, of convince funders, I, I need you to spend extra money so I can actually bring on a fellow. So to I mentor, to, yeah. To mentor and to mm-hmm. build back into the communities I'm taking from because documentary mm. has a history of being extractive in nature. Yes. The, the, the yes. Baltimore tragedy stories I hear are just, I mean, come on, you're pulling from it and you give nothing back. And this right. is a, a way to actually be able to, 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 to build back into mm-hmm. the community. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. And, and like Lindsay said, it was a risk and it was right. pushing hard. And the thing is, how can we do more to expand that kind of model to talk to folks about putting money into that mm-hmm. kind of model? For the show Pose, um, in Turkey, they, at, they made a point to hire trans folks to do the dubbing. Amazing. Yeah, and I'm like, like thinking about it, like even on like that level is so, so powerful. Definitely. And yeah, that's also, I think, a really, it refers to a really important part of what it means to do, to do audio description. Mm-hmm. You know, who are the people, who are the voices and the people and the perspectives that you're representing in your film? Does your audio description automatically, like, is it done by a bunch of white people? And is that what you mm-hmm. mean? Is that what you mm-hmm. intend? Like, what are the kind of cultural and identity specificities that you need to be mindful of in your captioning and your audio description as much as in your storytelling generally. I think it's really important to think about um, intersectionality and voice and intention in every layer in the right. same way. I mean, it's, yeah, in the same way that Pose did so mm-hmm. thoughtfully. And yeah. also I think what I love about the, from what I've heard about the, the kind of disclosure fellowship model is that it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't um, mentorship so much as fellowship because okay. the idea is that people could learn from each other. It wasn't like one's up here because they're really clever and experienced and one's down here because they don't know anything yet. It was actually, like my understanding is that they could infuse mm. each other's learning and perspective. And that feels really exciting to sort of, you know, there's this idea that, oh, well, if I hire someone who has a disability and then they're less experienced in film, then they're going to be a real risk. But what if you might learn something from them? Exactly. It's a knowledge exchange. Like whenever you're working with, yeah. with someone, it's a knowledge exchange. And like looking at it like, like that is um, incredibly important to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think right there is where you get kind of some of the, because we started this with the question of what does Forward Doc have on its website, which in, in short was also what are we doing? Mm-hmm. And I think what you'll hear is, is, is as an entity, we, the idea is, is uh, we're growing and learning from other other communities that are similar to us in, in many ways. And in many, our membership, uh, the idea is to grow and to learn. And basically at the end of the day, for us all to be able to create amazing works. Right, right. Um, so I wanna go back a little bit to the um, question, well, the issue of, um, I wanna, rather than saying calling out, I'm gonna say making aware and then um, the, the defensiveness thing. Um, because, okay, so one of my favorite podcasts is, um, is my favorite murder. Um, and, um, it's a great podcast. It's a comedy true crime podcast. And, um, each week, well, I'm, I'm still in 2019 because I'm, I'm playing catch up, but, but, um, each week they cover two murders and, um, I'm Georgia Hart Stark and Karen Kilgariff. Okay. So they, they run it. And it's a great podcast. Um, but one of the really good things about them, in addition to them being like 
very open about their issues with mental health and I'm um, dealing with addictions is um, when they do make mistakes and people let them know, particularly um, because you know these are two white women, um, like middle upper class white women, um, they acknowledge it and then they change. So they, they have this thing called corrections corner. It's not just for things around like um, like race and ethnicity and everything, but just kind of like everything, if they get a name wrong or something, but they'll go in like the next show and say, hey, you know, a lot of people emailed us or, or sent, uh, Twittered us, I guess Twitter is the word, Twittered us about this. Um, we apologize, we're learning, you know, we change. Like very, very simple and it's just like okay that's what we need to be i mean i think for us as an organization we've got things wrong we we do things wrong and and mm -hmm. it's really important to figure out how to do them better in practical terms and take the time to think about what is the better way that we should approach this and how do we build this into our processes and how do we create an organization that um you know, albeit is, is led by volunteers, has the capacity to be thoughtful about those things. Um, and I think it, it kind of requires that as a community, we are able to say where the problems are. Yeah. And then create courageous space to acknowledge when we've messed up. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, acknowledge it and then change it, you know. And yeah, you can, you can make well. it better. You can make yeah. it better. Yeah. You know. and, it, and it's an ongoing process. And it's, it's kind of like that whole fail and then fail again, but better. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. And so I'm like, no, nope, we've done it. We're probably going to do it again. Hopefully we'll be making different mistakes. Right. So. And I mean, and I think that's the, the important uh, one, this part of the process of like debriefing after something like you want to talk about what 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 worked well because you definitely want to celebrate that and talk about what can be better you know i mean that's just part of like um i think being courageous and truthful about um experiences in life you know i think it's a good way to live your life absolutely you know? mm. and i think one of the really important things to factor into that is the time that that takes the courage that takes and the kind of mental health resources and the sort of mental resilience and trust that it takes mm -hmm. and try, you know whether it whether it's building an organization or um you know making a film trying to be realistic about the fact that if we want to work in that thoughtful reflective generous trusting ethical way we have to build that it doesn't right it doesn't just happen you have to be conscious and conscientious about it absolutely yeah and yeah. also and also maybe forgiving with each other you know, mm -hmm. we do do damage to each other in the ways that we work. And I think when we acknowledge and when we recognize and acknowledge that and take steps to make change, there's no point recognizing and acknowledging if then we just keep doing the same thing over and over exactly, again. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, um, you know, before forgiveness, there needs to be um, amends, you know, amends. Beautiful. And then, and then that's that's the space where that's where you can begin to rebuild the trust. Uh, Day, any final thoughts? And then Lindsay, you can go after her. Sure. Uh, actually, uh, one, I would encourage you to check out for a doc fwd doc .org, org. There we go. Um, and you know, come join us. And two, and this is where we talk to the idea of like 
taking action. So this would be mm. my challenge. So every, actually, I, 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 I wouldn't say every, I would go even just one, right? The next event you go to, right? Ask about um, uh, whether they have captioning and ASL interpretation available. Ask, mm. ask for it, ask about it. So that, that'd, be, that'd be one. The other is the next time you are invited somewhere, ask about if they have invited um, uh, folks with disabilities or, mm. or folks with other statuses. And I'm like, because I tend to think more broadly about diverse, di diversity as a part of that because you as, as that person have the power to do that. I have a, a lovely friend who, if there is not a person of color on the panel, she refuses to participate. Okay. Actively That's using her power Sometimes your absence is a form of resistance. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and and yeah. the thing is, uh, I think every time the the conference has caved and changed the, the panel. Every mm. time. Okay. So don't be afraid of the fact that you have the power to do that to make change positively. So that would be like one, check us out. Two, ask for that accessibility, whether you need it or not, because someone out there will, and you're asking puts pressure to encourage it's there all the time. And the third is is whether when you are invited or a panel, do what you can to bring someone with you. So, mm. yeah. So you want to close? That's my close. Let's do something. Yeah. Do take an action. Take an action. Okay. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm cheering for day from here. <laughs> I'm trying to do like podcast cheering where I'm not constantly making weird noises while everyone else is speaking. So I'm like, it's so hard. <laughs> That's still why, struggle. That's why anybody who's been on Zoom with me sees the thumbs up all the time. I'm like thumbs up. I love the day <laughs> thumbs up. It's very encouraging. I think I'll adopt that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we've talked a lot about accessibility, and we've talked. I think sort of the question of representation is also something that is really important to us. For you know, not just as forward doc, but across so many different identities. So I suppose. I would like to just read a quick quote from Judy Human, the legendary disability rights activist who you get to spend time with in Crip Camp and who, yes. you know, we all want to spend time with in our daily lives because she's so extraordinary. Um, and she has a bi bi autobiography out, y'all need to buy. She does. That's a very good point. Um, she, Judy Human says, disabled people in film, on television and in other forms of media should reflect the reality of our lives our joys, sorrows, struggles, victories, and the everyday. Only then will we be able to effectively counteract the themes of our being invisible or seen only as incapable, a drain or a tragedy. Lindsay and Day are two powerhouses that are making changes and building and nurturing community within the documentary field. And after this conversation, you need not ever ask again, what can I do to support and center filmmakers with disabilities? Lindsay and Day have told you, number one, hire them. When you're looking for crew, email Forward Doc for referrals. Two, when you attend festivals, request captions and ASL interpretation. Three, if you are asked to be on the panel, ask the programmers who on the panel is a filmmaker with a disability. If the answer is no one, suggest people. And if you meet resistance, remember your absence and a declaration of the reason why is an act of resistance that can speak volumes. And as Lindsay says, learn to embrace your alternative bodily experiences and the unique perspectives and insights those experiences can bring to the world. As we move back into the normal world, let's not go back to the way it was because that way 
really didn't work well for a lot of folks. COVID has certainly been traumatic, no doubt. And in so many ways, it has made the doc world more accessible to a group of people who otherwise would have been shut out. So let's embrace the hybrid model, y'all. Thank you so much for listening today. In our next episode, we head back across the pond to Scotland to chat with educator and filmmaker Victoria Thomas. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on all your podcast platforms. When you give us that five-star rating, it helps to make people more aware of our podcast. And visit our website at whatsupwdocs.com. That's whatsupwdocs.com. And make sure to sign up for our mailing list to get the latest show news. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at What's Up W Docs. Again, that's What's Up W Docs. And remember, keep telling your stories. Today's episode was hosted by Tony Bell and produced by Renell Schubert. Music is by Sierra Thomas. The What's Up with Docs team would like to acknowledge the traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Shumash and Tongva on which we are recording this podcast.